next to you, we're glad you're here. Come on, tell a couple people next to you, we are glad that you are here this morning. You know, I, I, uh, I, I can't let you stay in the same box. We've got to jump out of the box every now and then. So this morning, I just, um, I've been, been spending time with the Lord. How many of you know it's good to spend time with the Lord? And I, today, I was just, um, I wanted to switch some things up. So I want to share with you this morning, first thing, my message. Is that all right? Because I believe that this Sunday is a time of celebration. But I also believe that something that I have been impositioned in, in, in on my heart to be able to think about deeply. So I'm asking you this morning as we start out to really begin to start thinking about what this past week has meant. Some, some, some people call it Holy Week. We know that over 2,000 years ago that Jesus went through a process. And I call that process today the road to redemption. Say that with me. The road to redemption. So there was a road to redemption that Jesus took. And how many of you know there's many ways to get to church this morning? Amen. And I am glad that you guys found a way to get to church. So sometimes Shelly's with me and we're going to church and, and I'll go this back way or I'll go this way or I'll come down this way. Or, or, you know, I haven't come this other way from the east much. But a lot of times she's like, we are going to church, right? And I'm like, yeah, but all these roads lead to church somewhere so we like to be able to go to be, go to church and be able to do that so the guys are going to begin to hand out some some uh a medical description that i want to get in your hands because i want us to begin to look at it today we're going to talk about a couple of things we're going to talk about a great loss and we're also going to talk about great joy we're going to talk about a great loss and we're going to also talk about a great joy if we were thinking about it right now, we would know that Jesus was lying in the tomb. How many of you know things looked very hopeless when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the ones that the Israelites thought were going to redeem them from Rome and the oppression from Rome, and things looked like all hope was lost because Jesus had died. And it was time when they thought, okay, what does it cost us? What do you think it costs you for your freedom? What do you think that it costs us to be able to live a life that's not only free in Christ, but we're free indeed? And we have the ability and the, the opportunity to do what we want to do. Paul says, I have the freedom to do what I want to do, but some of the things that I do for me is not good for me. So we, I want us to begin to think about the death and the burial today as we celebrate the resurrection. Jesus actually predicted his death to his disciples. Did you know that? I, I think about this, and guys, I'm going to pick on you guys for a little bit, because sometimes we, we have to be told once and then twice and then maybe even the third time. So I'm going to go through some scriptures this morning, and then I want to read through this medical description of what Jesus went through in our lives today. So I want us to be aware today that I want to take you on a little journey. Now this little journey is going to take us, I believe, can, can swing emotionally for us to really feel probably very somber. I think it will take us to a place where, where we might even feel sad. And some of us, myself, I'm going to try to read through this without crying today because it makes a difference when I begin to read through this what God has done for us. How much do we honor the cross? How much do we honor 
Christ being crucified. But how much do we honor the resurrection of Christ? So let's go. Everybody say, let's go. Let's go. We're going to take you on a little journey. We're going to start out with Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from the time Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed and to be raised upon the third day. How many of you know, and maybe you don't know, but you know now, this was the first time that Jesus very clearly made it known to his disciples that he was at a point where he was going to have to suffer. A point where he was going to have to suffer many things. But if you'll look at this scripture with me, those things that he has to suffer didn't come from the world. Oh, come on, are you hearing me? It came from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. The things that he began to walk through and suffer, the problems that he was up against, didn't come from the world. It came from the religious folks. Hello? And somebody may give you a hard time because you go to church or you go to that church or you go to this Living Word Fellowship Church. You go to that church? They may give you a hard time because of that. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus himself had to, had to walk through some things from the religious people of that day. So this was the first time. Everybody say first time. It was the first time that Jesus got with his disciples. Now let me, let me give you a little bit of historical background. He was actually in Caesarea Philippi at that time. So we're going to go on a road. We're going to take a little journey with you. Matthew 17. Let's look at this next scripture. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. Jesus again He's with his disciples, except they weren't in Philippi, uh, Caesarea. They were actually in Galilee. So here's what he says in verse 17. And while they were gathered together, where? Come on, everybody, where? In Galilee. They were gathered together in Galilee. It was a different place. He had spoke to them already one time about going on his death, that he was going to have to give himself up. And he goes on and he says, while they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be handed over to men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. How many of us sometimes I'm guilty of this. My wife will tell me something and I'll hear the first part of it. Don't you turn to your neighbor and say he's talking about you. I'll hear the first part of it, right? My wife will tell me something. I'll hear the first part of it. Jesus is telling them something, and he says, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. He was very clearly now for the second time making it very clear to the disciples that I'm going to be killed. But he also said that he's going to be raised again on the third day. So how many of us, like the disciples, sometimes we only hear the first part? And we're like, oh, no, no, no. And the Bible says they were deeply grieved. Now think about this. If we go back and we see Jesus on this journey, on this road to redemption, the thoughts were that Jesus was coming in as the king of kings and that he was going to be the king of Israel and Israel was going to what? 
take care of the nation of Rome, the, the, the nation of Rome, and Israel was no longer going to be under oppression from the Roman government. Hello? And now all of a sudden they're saying the leader that is supposed to lead Israel, overtake Rome, is saying that he's going to die. But we don't listen to the other part where he says he's going to be raised again on the third day. Tell the person next to you, say, the third day. It's the third day. We talk about the third day. So I want to look at the third time that he told the disciples. Are you with me? Let's go to chapter 20, verse 17 through 19. So we see the first time that Jesus told them he was in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And then the second time he told them he was what? In Galilee. Are you with me? We see the road. If you look at a map, you would be, you'd see over here to the west would be uh, Caesarea Philippi. And then over to the east, he would actually be... Um, he would actually be for the second time that we were looking at would be Galilee and near the near the the waters and he was there and he spent a lot of time there but Jerusalem now is all of a sudden many miles south of Galilee and he's telling the disciples this he goes in in verse 20 and Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves <laughs> They didn't get it the first time. The second time, they only heard the first part. Are you with me? They didn't hear the part about being raised in three days. And now he's got them. And I'm wondering, do you think Jesus, maybe when he was in Caesarea, do you think that maybe when he was in Galilee, they were, the disciples were like in a crowd? Do you think he was telling some people? Now all of a sudden we see in this journey, on this road to redemption, we see where he is all of a sudden pulling the disciples aside. It's like, hey guys, come with me. Let's have a little huddle over here. And he's huddling with the, with the disciples and they pulled him a lot by themselves. And on the road he said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify. And on the third day, he will be raised. Third day, he will be raised. How many of you know I believe the disciples began to start meditating on that? Hey, Pete. He said he's going to be beaten. He said he's going to be flogged. He said he's going to be crucified. But don't you, did you hear him say on the third day? He's going to be raised. He's going to be raised up in the third day. How's that going to happen? I don't know, John. How do you think it's going to happen? I don't know. Let's ask Mark. I don't know. Let's see what he says. What about Matthew? Let's, Matthew, what's this deal with Jesus? And, and he's going to die and he's going to be raised up on the third day. And what, what, what's all that about? Because isn't he the, the one, the chosen one, the Messiah, the one that's come for Israel and the one that's going to put Israel uh, uh, back on the map, so to speak, and we're going to overcome all this oppression from Rome? Isn't he the one? And they're having this discussion. So I began to start meditating on the word redemption. Say that with me. Redemption. What does redemption mean? And I'm glad you asked. Because it means the act, process, or instance of redeeming. The word redemption means the act, the process, or the instance of redeeming. So I said, 
the instance of redeeming. So what does redeeming mean? It means serving to offset or compensate for a defect. Listen to me this morning. It means serving to offset or compensate for a defect. What do you think that defect was in humans? It was sin. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, we see that begin to take place. So I started looking up the word redeem. I want you to hear this. Redeem means to buy back or repurchase. It means to buy back or repurchase. It means to get or to win back. To get or to win back. It also means to be free from distresses or harms, such as to be free from captivity or by payment of ransom. <laughs> In other words, somebody was kidnapped and they charged a ransom to get that person back. Are you with me? Somebody was kidnapped and they wanted a ransom to get that person back. So we look at redeemed and we look at it in a, in a way that, that there were distresses or harms. Has there been any distresses or harms? How about being in captivity? The Israelites had spent sometime 400 years in captivity. How many of you know you spend 400 years of captivity... You have to change the way you believe and think when you're out of captivity. If you've always been a slave, if you've always been told what to do, where to do it, and how to do it, and for 400 years, and we're talking about 10 generations, being less than the Israelites felt like they were, but they knew they really weren't in their heart, there was a redemption that took place. It also means to eradicate from or to help to overcome something detrimental. To eradicate from or to help overcome something detrimental. It means to release from blame or debt. Oh, and I love this one now. To release... To release from blame or debt. It can mean to clear. Or could I say, clear the slate. Clear the slate. When I think about the cross and when I think about Christ being on the cross. And some of you may not know and may not realize. This right here represents when a person was being crucified and they were on the cross, and some of you can see this in the different movies that they portray with Jesus, in order for, the, for them to, to get the body down, they had to wrap this sheet around up under his arms, take out the nails, and then they would lower the body down. There would be two people, one on each side, and they would lower the body down. The weight of the body would be able to come down, and that's what that represents. So if you ever see something like this and they have this on that cross, I think you'll be able to have a greater understanding of what that meant. Christ is not on the cross. <laughs> He's not on the cross. And I think about 
the redemption that we have. To be made clear. He, he's made clear some things for us. How many of you know my, my life was a mess. I, 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 without Christ, it's, it's like it was a mess. And, and there, was, there was some scorekeeping going on. But how many of you ever had a dry erase board and you're like, okay, let's start over. Take that dry erase board and you get to erase that. And you're like, okay, we're going to begin to start over. So it means to release from blame or dead. How many of you ever had the enemy blaming you? It's your fault. Should have done something different. Should have made a different choice. Should have done this. Should have done that. Could have, would have, should have. This is how it was supposed to be. And he, and he blames us. He constantly blames us. Well, how many of you know Jesus came to take care of the debt that was owed and to make it clear? It also means to free from the consequences of sin. To free from the consequences of sin. Jesus took the road to redemption for us. And that road to redemption came with a price. Are you hearing me, church, today? Those of you that are joining us online, are, do you know, do you hear that it came with a price? The Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him and shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. It came with a price because the Father was willing to give his own Son to redeem us from sin, to redeem us so we could walk in clear, debt-free life. Jesus took that road to redemption for us, and it came with a price. It came with his blood. It came with his sacrifice. It came with his life. So if you can see, it's okay. If you can't, I want to read through this medical description of what Jesus went through. Hey, Reese, would you bring me that little bottle of water that is, doesn't have a label on it? That way, that's mine. Thank you, sissy. Thank you, baby. I want you to take this home with you because today is going to be a day that God is going to mark some things in our lives and say when we experience what we're going to experience in the next few minutes that we're going to see things differently. I want it to be a day to where you're going to be impacted by the things of God. God's greatest expression of love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. If you are to truly love and make each member of your family successful, you must be willing to lay down your life on a daily basis and die for them. This means putting the needs of your family first, above your rights, personal ambitions, and schedule. The greatest example of one laying down his life for his friends is Christ. We can never fully comprehend the spiritual aspect of Christ's suffering and shame. But medical studies shed a glimpse of light on the physical agony and all the horror that Jesus endured on the cross. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, let ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Hebrews 
the physical trauma of Christ begins at Gethsemane with one of the initial aspects of his suffering, the bloody sweat. It's an interesting that the physician in the group, St. Luke, is the only one to mention this. He says, and be in agony. He prayed the longer and his sweat became drops of blood trickling down upon the ground. Though very rare, the phenomenon of hematidrosis or bloody sweat is well documented. Under great emotional stress, listen, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, thus mixing blood with sweat. This process alone have produced marked weakness and possible shock. After the arrest in the middle of the night, Jesus was brought before Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. A soldier struck Jesus across the face from remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. The palace guards then blindfolded him and mockingly taunted him to identify them as each passed by. They spat on him and struck him in the face. Early in the morning, Jesus, battered and bruised, dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, is taken across Jerusalem to the praetorium of the fortress Antonia. It was there in response to the cries of the mob that Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus, discouraging and the crucifixion. Preparations for the scourging are carried out. The prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to the post above his head. Are you getting the picture? The Roman legionnaire steps forward with the flagrum in his hand. This is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs and two small balls of lead attached near the ends of each. The heavy whip is brought down with full force and across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At the first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only, and then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissue, which is skin, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissues. When it is determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is finally stopped. The half-fainted Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet with his own blood. The Roman soldiers see a great joke in this provincial Jew claiming to be a king. They throw a robe across his shoulders and place a stick in his hand for a scepter. A small bundle of flexible branches covered with long thorns is pressed into his scalp. And again, there is copious bleeding, the scalp being one of the most vascular areas of the body. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take 
the stick from his hand and strike him across the head, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. Finally, they tire of their sadistic sport and the robe is torn from his back. It had already become adherent to the clots of blood and the serum in the wounds and it's removable just as the careless removal of the surgical bandages causing excruciating pain. Almost whipped and being began to bleed. The heavy beam of the cross was then tied across his shoulders and the procession of the condemned Christ, the two thieves and the execution detail begins its slow journey. Can you see the road to redemption here? The weight of the heavy wooden beam together with the shock produced by copious blood loss is too much. He stumbles and he falls. And the rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of his shoulders. He tries to rise by human muscles, but he's been pushed beyond their endurance. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground. And Jesus is quickly thrown back with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels the depression at the front of his wrist. And he drives a heavy, square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action. Being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexion and movement, the beam is then lifted in place at the top of the post and the Tilius reads, Jesus, Nathras, a king of the Jews, is nailed in place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and both feet extended, toes down, and a nail is driven through the arch of each as he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment. He places his full weight on the nail through his feet and again there is a searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatorsal bones of his feet. As his arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in the deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercoastal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into his lungs, but it cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get the one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain. Cycles of twisting, joint-rendering cramps. Intermittent, partial asphyxiation, asphyxiation, searing pain as tissues is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain. 
Deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills the serum and begins to compress the heart. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. And markably dehydrated tissues send their flood to stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps. I thirst. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deep breath, and utters his seventh and last cry. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Apparently, to make doubly sure of death, the legionnaire drove his lance through the fifth inner space between the ribs upward through the pericardium and into the heart. Immediately there came out blood and water. We therefore have rather conclusion that post-mortem evidence that our Lord died, listen, not by the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but of heart failure due to shock and constriction of the heart by the fluid and the pericardium. Do we value what took place on the death and the burial of Christ? The disciples, Jesus talked to them three times made it very clear of what was taking place. And on that third time, he let him know about the redemption. He let him know about what was going to really take place and that he was going to be mocked and he was going to be made fun of and he was going to be crucified. There is nothing that I can do in this world that would ever cause this to be done to us. It's not going to happen. He did something on this road to redemption that only he could do and we can't do. So Paul talks about it in Corinthians, about a communion. And I want us to be able to take the Lord's Supper and have communion. So, um, Sean, if you guys can, can come on up. And Shelly, I'm going to have you come with me. We're going to have Sean and Jody here at this station. They're going to administer communion to you. And Shelly and I are going to administer communion at this station here. Before this took place, the disciples took communion. And Paul said in Corinthians that after this had taken place... And Jesus had died and he rose again. He talked about the communion and he said, as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And there's times that we as a church family have taken communion celebrating. And then there's times we as a church family need to take communion in a somber way to remember what Christ has done. And I want us to hi highlight today of what was done on the cross. The road of redemption. He bought it back for us. 
He bought that back for us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can change that. This isn't about walking an aisle. This isn't about being forced to raise your hand. It's about what's taking place in your heart. Jesus did this for us, for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And for those that are not here yet, and for those that are far away from God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Before we take communion, I just, wanna, I just want us to focus on God. If you will, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And why we're doing that is because you're not distracted by the things that are around you. If you have a child that's with you and they need your attention, please don't keep your eyes closed. Take care of your children. But I want to ask you today, What Jesus did for you. How important is that to us? Maybe we need to set aside all the other things in the world that we think are important. And take a moment. And in your heart today, would you say that Jesus is Lord? And in your voice today, would you say that Jesus is Lord? And he is your Lord and he is your Savior. It's very easy to do. If you're here today and you're concerned about having the peace, that if something was to happen to you today, would you be with the Lord or without the Lord? If that's you today, then just ask him into your heart. Just ask him for forgiveness, for not putting Christ center in your life, and just begin to receive him in your life. It's very simple, and it's between you and him. So, Father, we just say, if there's somebody here that's a far away from you, that they will invite you into their heart today. They've seen what you did on the road of redemption and that you have redeemed them. You've paid the price for them. You've shed your blood for them so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And we believe and we receive that right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.